Well, hello everybody and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. Today I have a question which has come in from a member of the congregation here at All Saints. And this might take me a while to work through. I'm not sure how long this one's going to take, so I'll just jump straight into it. It comes off the back of some teaching in the last couple of weeks that I've had the opportunity to give. And actually, um, some themes I've been touching on uh, multiple times in the last few months to do with the issue of work. And the question concerns, and I quote, trying to create a parallel Christian economy, unquote. Should we create a parallel Christian economy or try to do so? And what the questioner is uh, thinking about and referring to is an increasing, uh, though I guess still fairly uh, low intensity, but nonetheless increasing uh, online movement mainly that is self-consciously trying to create uh, a series of economic structures, uh, businesses, service providers, manufacturers, and so on, where it's Christians doing business with Christians, a parallel Christian economy that is to some extent cut off from and therefore not dependent upon the mainstream economy, let's call it that. And uh, the kind of rhetoric that the questioner draws attention to that um, I guess uh, she's found online is, and some more quotes here, if you support us, you're supporting the coming reformation. Your support will help build Christendom 2.0. We need a parallel Christian economy to stick it to the pagans. Well, I'm not quite sure that the um, the rhetoric there is quite the, uh, what I or the questioner would um, want to endorse. But you can see the uh, underlying thought here is uh, in a context where we do recognize that there is a degree of conflict between the way of life that we're seeking to embrace and, and the culture around us, and in some uh, contexts that uh, the conflict is intensifying, and indeed it's intensifying to the point where uh, some Christians are being denied services, uh, sometimes uh, Christian businesses are being deliberately targeted uh, by uh, people who have a, a an axe to grind. We think of the, uh, the the cake baking scenarios that um, keep popping up. And uh, more recently, there was another case in Colorado where the Supreme Court found in favor of an internet service provider who's a Christian who said she didn't, uh, she was seeking a preemptive judgment about whether or not uh, she would be forced to create websites endorsing messages that she didn't want. That's something I mentioned about a year ago and the Supreme Court recently decided in her favor. But all of these are contexts in which um, Christians in business or in the workplace or Christians seeking services feel they're being discriminated against because of their faith. And so the question therefore arises, well, why do we stick with this unbelief-saturated economy anyway? Why not try and create a parallel Christian economy to try and do business with Christians, for Christians, and so on? And I want to give some thoughts about this because I think there are some really uh, good things to say about it. There are some things to be careful of as well. And as so often, what we've got here is quite a complex issue where people who've got um, something invested in the matter are likely to uh, lean one way or the other very strongly and ignore the difficulties on either side. And I want to try and give you a, a more, or I hope will be a more balanced and accurate and wise uh, perspective on the issue, which takes account of both the, the many positives and also some of the dangers that we might need to watch out for. So let's first speak to the positives about the possibility of a uh, parallel Christian economy. I mean, the first thing to say is, well, why not? 
Why not, if you're buying products that people who are your Christian friends or Christians who are friends of friends could provide for you, why not buy things from Christians? After all, you might expect them, all things considered, to be working harder. You're supporting fellow believers who can then invest the money in things which you might want to support, like educating their children or you know, uh, just supporting their own family life, rather than the kinds of fairly nefarious, uh, quote-unquote, charitable aims that uh, some companies in the secular space uh, seem to support these days. And there are many products where, obviously, these things can be made very easily, even by people just working around the kitchen table. So soaps and preserves and other foodstuffs. And there are many services that Christians offer, uh, piano teaching and uh, plumbing and electrical work and air conditioning servicing and dog breeders and car mechanics and uh, people who do uh, contracting work on uh, residential or commercial buildings. All these services and products are offered by Christians, and why not go to them to get it? Because after all, might you not have good reason to think you'd be getting a better product from them anyway, and it'd be good to be supporting Christians. And I want to say, absolutely, why not? Uh, just so you know, myself, um, I recently had some electrical work done uh, on uh, our house. We needed um, a surge protector installed and some other bits and pieces uh, checked out. And I got a couple of quotes from a couple of businesses, ended up going with a Christian-owned business, a Christian-run business, which um, seemed to have done a great job. And um, they, actually the quote was a good deal cheaper than the competition anyway, and I was very glad to have had it done. And um, actually, this highlights another um, issue where it's quite uh, valuable that uh, you can trust somebody to do the work, because I'm not a qualified electrician. I actually don't know how good the devices are that have been installed. If I didn't know any better, for all I knew, then the little box that has been stuck in the side of my garage wall might just be an empty blank box with nothing going on inside it and just a straight line wire connecting the two parts of the circuit that's supposed to have something in between them now. So um, I need to be able to trust people to do a good job there and I have no reason to doubt. In fact, I have every reason to trust the man who did this work for me because he's a Christian and a friend of mine. And we're often in a similar position, aren't we, in other things. Like, you get an AC guy out to fix your air conditioner because you don't know how to do it yourself. You go to a car mechanic to fix your car because you don't know how to do it yourself. And therefore, the issue of trust is really significant. And who better to trust than a Christian who you know personally or who comes from another church locally and you've got every reason to think that because they know that they should be serving the Lord Jesus Christ as well as you, the client, they're going to be doing a better job for the same money or even cheaper than the competition. And even if you did have to pay a bit more, wouldn't it be worth paying a bit more because you know the job's going to get done right? And so I want to say, for all those reasons, it would be a great thing to consider doing. There are other reasons as well, of course. Um, in practical terms, this can be a helpful way for children and young people to get started in business, which is a very good thing to do. Not necessarily because they might continue in it, but because just the, the the disciplines of work and performance and excellence and consistency that you need to learn to run a business yourself are valuable whatever you end up doing in life. So I would very happily buy stuff and probably pay over the odds for stuff from uh, a young person who's a Christian who is making it. I mean, don't please all come to me expecting me to buy a cubic yard of honey a week off each of you. But, you know, that's kind of <laughs> buying stuff from the children of our Christian friends in part to encourage them to get started, to be thinking about business and so on. Um, I would love to do that. 
Um, and we do it all the time, really, don't we? And in all these different areas, I've had Christians working for me and tuning my piano and doing this electrical work and other things. So great, great, great. No need to worry about it at all, except, as always, there are ways in which this could go wrong. And I want to just highlight a few, because particularly as our church grows and as the uh, Christian economy that exists uh, just by default among us grows. We have more people in our congregation who we know personally, and certainly more people out there who are friends of friends, who we might know second or third hand. We have more people who could offer these services. This is likely to become a bigger issue in the future. And I wanna just uh, wave a few yellow flags, not red flags, but yellow flags, just warnings, just things to watch out for so we don't let this thing go sideways on us. So how could this go bad? Well, I've come up with at least six different ways. The first is it could go bad by people fe feeling guilt-tripped for not using Christian contractors. Just imagine the, the situation in which uh, we've got a couple of Christians in the congregation who are realtors or electrical contractors or plumbers, but somebody goes outside the congregation to some other business who's not, that's not run by a Christian, not known to them personally. Well, there would be nothing wrong with doing that, and it would be a, a mistake, quite a serious ethical mistake, for us to make people feel bad for going to get service provision from somebody else. Truth is, there might be all kinds of reasons why they would want to do that, and it's up to them to make the choice about what service they want. If you probed too deeply, you might place them in an awkward position where they might feel that they either needed to apologize for not realizing that this person did this business or for thinking that perhaps this person wasn't the best for the job that they wanted doing. And that kind of thing can strain relationships unnecessarily, especially because, frankly, it's none of my business who you get to do your electrical work or tune your piano or act as a realtor when you sell your house. And so the very last thing that we should be doing is guilt-tripping one another into feeling that you have to use a Christian contractor if there is one available. This is part of the problem with some of the, the online rhetoric that I've, uh, well, had forwarded to me and a, a quick glance at um, the internet showed me that this was by no means um, rare in this particular kind of uh, online space. The problem with the rhetoric of we need a parallel econ Christian economy to stick it to the pagans or your support will help build Christendom 2.0 is the implication that if you're not engaging in business within this sub-economy, you're somehow opposed to those things. And that would be a mistake. I don't think it's any of our business who somebody goes to to get work done for them or to buy products from. And we don't want to make it, we don't want to start intruding into one another's lives in those kinds of ways. For what it's worth, that's one of the reasons why as a pastor, I want to be particularly careful not to endorse people because sometimes people can get the mistaken impression that um, something their pastor says has a kind of pastoral endorsement to it. And though I've been very pleased with this electrical work that I had done and other things that Christians have done for me, I, I personally want to be quite careful not to give sort of endorsements because it starts to look like a pastoral endorsement rather than just a personal one. And so it's a little disturbing occasionally when I hear pastors you know, uh, doing that kind of thing because I think it can be counterproductive. That's the first thing, guilt-tripping people uh, because of decisions that they've made that are their business and not ours. Second... There is uh, every possibility that the consumers or the clients in this kind of context could end up taking advantage of the service providers 
And I've spoken about this before. I think it's particularly an issue in, in the service industry where you've got people offering piano teaching or offering um, uh, all kinds of other services, electrical, um, uh, contracting work, that kind of thing. In general, as I've said before, I think the expectation should not be that Christian clients or Christian customers get cheap knockdown rates from Christian contractors or Christian service providers. Uh, there are a number of things going on behind this. The first is that if uh, a Christian service provider get, makes, let's say, after they've paid all their taxes and all their costs and everything else, they might make 25%, say, I'm making up some numbers here, they might make 25% on the bottom line of what they charge you, and they give you a 10% discount or a 15% discount, they've lost 40 or 60% of their profit. And especially in a growing church where there might be no end of Christian clients expecting favours and knockdown prices, their business starts to expand in terms of the number of Christian clients, but decline very dramatically in terms of the bottom line um, profit that they're able to make. And we'll end up driving our Christian friends out of business by making them feel guilty for not offering us services and products and knockdown prices. We should not be expecting favours in this kind of context. And I would encourage you, if you're hiring a Christian friend, just to make sure, please ask them, is this your normal rate? Is this what you normally charge when you do this work? And if anything, I would want to say you should be paying extra if you're going with them, because presumably the reason why you're going with them is because you think that since they're a Christian, they're going to be doing a better job, not a worse job than um, somebody who's not a believer. And from the point of view of the contractor, it makes no difference whether they're doing electrical work in a Christian's house or a non-Christian's house. But from the point of view of the homeowner, it makes all the difference in the world because they have good reason to believe, or they should have good reason to believe, come back to that in a second. They have good reason to believe that they're getting a better service than they would be if they paid the same amount to somebody who's not a Christian and therefore isn't conscious of serving Christ in their business. So that's the second problem. Let's not take advantage of Christians in this kind of growing uh, substructure of the economy by making them feel they've got to give us their work for knockdown prices. The third issue is related to that, uh, the economics of this thing in terms of how the relationship between the service provider and the client might go wrong. It would be possible for us to be personally naive as this economy grows by imagining that everybody who advertises himself as a conscientious, faithful Christian is, in fact, a conscientious, faithful Christian. Sadly, this is something that um, I'd come across not through personal experience, but um, in reading some of the material online about this. Obviously, some service providers are starting to realize that in parts of the world where there are a large number of Christians who are keen to get Christian uh, contractors into their home, say, or... Um, uh, buy goods from Christian-owned companies or businesses. Uh, it's a brand now. Um, having some kind of logo with a fish or a cross in it, which trumpets a purported Christian commitment, actually is a branding exercise, potentially, and might not reflect the truly Christian character of the people working at the company or the truly uh, Christ-honouring quality of the work they're doing. Now, my aim here is not to cast aspersions upon anybody. It's just to point out economic realities. Once something becomes uh, economically valuable, so does the counterfeit. And what that means is that we ought to do our due diligence. I would be very, very happy to contract a Christian who I knew well or I thought would do a great job to do work for me. Um, but in the end, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware in relation to 
just picking up uh, uh, an advertisement from a company online that uh, that purportedly claims Christian credentials. Of course, we've got to hope and pray, and there's no reason to doubt that the vast majority of them will be conscientious, faithful Christians wanting to serve and praise God for them. But we don't want to be economically or personally naive about the realities that you know, the the incentives are aligned in such a way that at some point uh, somebody's going to claim uh, Christian credentials, so to speak, that are not really justified by the underlying reality. So there's that kind of personal naivety, which leads into the fourth um, point about the broader economic naivety that I think may underlie not the relationships between client or customer and service provider or manufacturer, but the the naivety of the idea that we could create a quote-unquote parallel Christian economy in the first place. Uh, frankly, some of the products in this parallel economy are just going to be more expensive, and they may not be worth the money. They may be a little bit better, but if they're a little bit better and a lot more expensive, then that might be one of the reasons why some people would rather just go to Walmart to buy whatever it is they want to buy, rather than going to their Christian friends, even though uh, all else being equal, they'd like to support their Christian friends' business. It just might be that all else isn't equal. And especially in an age where so many of the goods that we consume and the services that we consume are cheap because they benefit from large-scale manufacturing or they benefit from economies of scale in the service sector, it would be somewhat naive to imagine that uh, a service that like a one-man band can offer or that the service that somebody who's manufacturing things by hand around the kitchen table can offer is going to be as good as the one uh, that you pay the same amount of money for that benefits from mass production and so on or economies of scale. In general, mass production either makes things better or it makes things cheaper or both. And if it didn't, of course, then people wouldn't mass produce things. But they do, everything from cars to computers and everything in between. And so it would be somewhat economically naive to imagine that everything that could be bought in this parallel economy is going to be just as good as stuff on the mainstream economy. Now, what might happen, of course, is that it is more expensive and people would rather pay the extra to get something that they have every reason to believe is good and all speed to you, all power to you. But again, let's just be clear economically about what's likely to be going on here. Related to that is another uh, economic reality that doesn't seem to be front and center, at least in some of the media that I've read, that some things just can't be made at all in the small-scale parallel Christian economy as it now exists because they rely so heavily on sophisticated, uh, complex technologies, uh, mass production and so on, which has been being built for many generations and can't just spring up in a night or in a few weeks or a couple of years um, within a Christian subculture. We're not likely to have a distinctively Christian global search engine anytime soon or a distinctively Christian internet or distinctively Christian power distribution or distinctively Christian artificial intelligence. These, these are not short-term or frankly even medium-term economic probabilities. Now I'm going to speak to the, the optimism I think we should have in a moment. So what I'm not saying is there's no hope, quite the contrary. I don't want to say there's more hope actually that than uh, some of those touting the parallel Christian economy want to hold out. But what I do want to say is, look, let's be, let's be a little bit 
um, well, realistic and perhaps uh, a little humble uh, to recognize that God has been very gracious to us over many generations through this kind of mainstream, quote unquote, non-Christian economy, however much it actually, I'd want to argue, let me pause there one second, I'll, I'll come to that from a different angle. The, the so-called non-Christian economy actually is built on assumptions which are fundamentally Christian in their orientation. If you think about, I talked about this a little bit with uh, David Barnson a couple of weeks ago, um, the free market is uh, a transaction space in which you can't get anything unless you're giving anything. Uh, you're giving something to people who want it. So no surprise that over generations, what's happened is that the Christian economy, uh, the non-Christian economy, sorry, the mainstream economy has grown wonderfully because uh, free trade and economic innovation and uh, economies of scale and so on are the fruit of Christian convictions working their way out in economic life. So to try and break free from that is, and, and then sort of start again, is somewhat naive. Fifthly, and again related to this, um, there's actually a degree of overstatement in the idea of a parallel Christian economy in the first place. I mean, anybody who sits in their home around their kitchen, uh, kitchen table hand manufacturing soap or preserves or embroidered products or whatever it is, of course there, are, there might be a Christian putting love and thoughtfulness and prayer and Christian commitment into doing this thing, but the lights are on, uh, the home was built by unbelievers, the air conditioning is powered by electricity that comes from the same place that the guy next door who's not a believer gets his from. Uh, in fact, this is not really a parallel Christian economy at all, and to describe it as such, again, is something of an overstatement. It's a little bit naive. It would be better to say that it's a little uh, an attempt to create um, a, a distinctively Christian substructure within the broader economic world, which is itself upheld by the living God, even though it may be peopled and driven by people who don't all acknowledge their indebtedness to the living God. It's a little bit more complex, in other words, than we're going to withdraw completely from the mainstream economy and set up a new system of economic production. And all of that leads to the um, sixth point, which in one sense is, I think, the most important, although it's the, uh, the least actionable. I want to suggest that the the idea that we need to create a parallel Christian economy is actually too pessimistic because it understates the possibility of transformation within the nation and the economy that we now inhabit. Now, of course, I've said this before, you've heard it from other people too, it may be that there are economic and political structures within our country which need to fall under the judgment of the Lord and be broken rather than renewed, broken and resurrected rather than just transformed gradually from within. That's always a possibility. But it is also interesting to me as I'm thinking about this, I'm um, looking forward to Pastor Shaw's sermon this coming Sunday, which by the time you watch this will have been last Sunday. And his sermon is on uh, Jonah uh, chapter 4 where he's reflecting on Jonah's attitude to the transformation of the great city of Nineveh, which uh, we heard about last week. By the time you hear about this, it'll be two weeks ago. Um, well, just remember what happened in Nineveh. In Nineveh, you had a prophet preach a lousy evangelistic sermon to a bunch of people who he must have uh, 
well, he, we know that he regarded them as among the most ungodly, if the, not the most ungodly people and violent and despicable people he'd ever met. And they all repented, including their king, which if nothing else highlights that we should hold out the possibility that the gospel will cause people to change. So the idea that we need to build a parallel Christian economy because this secular economy is fundamentally broken and is destined for judgment goes wrong on several counts. It understates the possibility of this economy being transformed. It's actually um, at a deeper level. It represents a claim to be able to read history, which I think is somewhat misplaced and potentially dangerous if you think about what's going on there the claim that we need to build a parallel economy insofar as it rests on the idea that this one is destined for the flames of hell or whatever is an attempt not just to be able to read scripture accurately but to be able to read our culture and to be able to tell what is going on in our culture and i don't think that's a, a wise uh, judicious claim to make. Of course, we can see to a certain extent what's going on in our culture, but we can't tell the future. We don't know whether America is going to be transformed and those mainstream institutions that we now are finding somewhat frustrating and some of those large businesses that are supporting causes that are really antithetical to Christian faith and life. We don't know whether they're not going to be transformed. We don't know whether the CEO and the board of Target and Costco and Walmart and everybody else are not... Why, why, why might they not be converted in the next five years and introduce the kind of radical changes into their business practices that in some of those cases, not making an economic or political point there, we might want to see. So all of that is to say, um, let's not be pessimistic. Let's not overstate our uh, claim to be able to understand what's going on in the world as we currently live in it. And let's not understate God's power to transform the world as we currently see it. If Jonah 3 teaches us nothing else from Pastor Shaw's sermon a week or two ago, um, surely it teaches us that the living God can transform even the most violent and depraved of nations, so he can surely transform this one. So all of that is to say then, just to come back to where we started, this parallel Christian economy question, I think there's a lot in it that is good, uh, a lot of potential, and um, I have no hesitation about encouraging people to go and do business with other Christians. Go right ahead and do that, but do so with the awareness of the ways in which this could go wrong and the limitations, both practically about what can be accomplished and also in principle about how we ought to think of this enterprise. Let's not overstate our position in relation to the importance of this enterprise or the certainty we have about the future of America and let's not understate the power of the living God to transform this land in which we live and bring about a future that we really could never have imagined even five years before we see it. Okay well I think that'll do us we're done for now as ever please feel free to share this with people uh, pass it on to anybody who you think um, might find it helpful and as always feel free to send questions in uh, to me, if you've got any uh, things you want me to talk about here or any questions about anything else, I and the other pastors here at All Saints would be delighted to hear from you. For now, though, God bless you and bye for now.